Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Rise Church podcast. We're a church in Southeast Idaho on mission to help people take steps in relationship with Jesus. For more information, check us out at risechurchid.org. All right, enjoy the message. So we are in Mark 11. I don't know about you guys, but I've been really excited going through the book of Mark, uh, mostly because I am jumble-headed, if you can't tell. And uh, so I jump in the Bible a lot. And like all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, the Psalms seem really interesting. And then I'm like, I'm going to read the whole book of Psalms. Three Psalms in, I'm like, actually, I really want to go to Daniel. And then I'm like, well, maybe, you know. And so uh, actually going through a book like this has been really cool and really different for me. And it's been really challenging for me because I am hard-headed and I like to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And so doing this has been really cool for me. Um, and it's really prompted a lot of conversations between me and God. So um, we're just going to like jump right in. Um, as Pastor Ben reminded us last week, we are in the middle of Holy Week, right? So Jesus has entered Jerusalem. Everybody's like, oh, yay, you're here. Woohoo. And then um, we have some really interesting interactions that happen after this whole woohoo moment, right? And um, something I really love about Jesus is that he's intentional, like very, very, very intentional. And so when we see Jesus do things and we hear him say things, it's important that we pay attention. And I think sometimes we forget like how important it is. Like, I know that sounds really silly, like that we forget that Jesus's words are important, but I think we do, right? Like we hear it, we're like, oh, that's really nice. Um, but we see something that happens that I feel like should have kind of grabbed our attention. Um, and that is, uh, Jesus flipping some tables. I don't know about y'all. I saw that and I was like, mm, loving, uh, maybe, maybe not, maybe not the best. And then God and I were talking and he's like, uh, Jen, let me introduce you to yourself. How often I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I genuinely feel Jesus and like, they have just like flipped tables in heaven while having conversations with me. Like, that's not what I said. <sighs> I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and if you're anything like me, you know what I'm talking about. There's a tone that happens in God, you know? Anyway, okay, maybe it's just me, but um, anyway. But here's the thing, like when we see things like that from God, like we, we kind of start to question like, uh, really though, how is that loving? How is flipping tables and driving people out of a temple loving, right? Um, and so as me and God were talking about this, he broke it down in a way that I want to share with you guys. Because um, there's four interactions we're going to look at. Uh, there's the people in the temple. There are the disciples um, after the whole fig tree thingy happens. Uh, there is the chief priests who come and start questioning him, right? And then uh, the fourth is the crowd, Okay, so we're going to look at how Jesus interacts with these uh, four different type of people. But before we do, we need to establish something about Jesus, right? Um, so when we're looking at something that's hard for us to understand, something I had learned a long time ago, what does the Bible say about that? If I can tell you how much I used to loathe that question, okay, like loathe it, and now like that is just... <laughs> the first thing that runs through my mind. But when we have questions like this, this is really where we should go. We should go to the Bible and be like, okay, well, what does the Bible say about this? And so um, the thing that God brought me to is, okay, well, what do we know about Jesus? Okay, we're going to start this all off. What do we know about Jesus? 
Uh, let me know if you disagree with any of these things. I thought they were pretty accurate. Uh, one, he's our example. Uh, he lived a sinless life. Uh, he loves us unconditionally, right? Uh, wants the best for us, not the easiest, but the best for us. Uh, doesn't require perfection, or else he wouldn't have died on the cross. Um, and most importantly, he is intentional about speaking to the heart of a person, not the outward appearance or the, the surface oppression of them, right? All right. So saying these things, are we all in, can we say that these are all true? Just a general sentence? Yes? OK. OK. So all of us agreeing that this is true, I feel like I can make the statement and it be true. Everything Jesus does is out of unconditional love to show us the way to eternal life, meeting us exactly where we are in the moment he's speaking to us. Is that fair? Do we, yes? OK. All right. This includes when he's flipping tables in a temple. That's hard, right? Just follow me. Follow me. We're going on a journey. Just follow me down the yellow brick road, okay? Okay, so if every interaction Jesus has is loving, is intentional, is meant to bring Jesus, uh, people towards Jesus, then how does that fit in, right? Like, that's the question. How does that fit in? Um, we're going to start answering this question by going through each of these, right? So the first one is going through the temple. The first thing we have to do is look at the heart of the people God is talking to. Because what do we know? Jesus is going to talk to their heart, right? Okay, so let's look at that. What do we know about the people in the temple? Okay, well, one, right out of the bat, we know they have no fear of God. I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know about y'all, I love you, but there is just a part of me that really like envisions God's face when he looks at me, when he's talking to me. And there's like this look of like, really? You know, parents give it to their kids. <laughs> parents, you know what I'm talking about? That look you give right before the smackdown comes. The one that you are giving with the, I triple dog dare you to do that again, right? I feel like, Again, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who gets this. Maybe I'm the only one who, but like, there is this part of me that really has a fear of God, right? Um, I feel like if you are in God's temple, now you guys have to understand something. Like they believe like, this is God's temple. Like God is there, okay? And they are selling stuff and are like, man, I don't really want to deal with finding my own pigeons, so I'll go buy one at the time. Okay, so they're like, and people are like exchanging money. Now, mind you, they know that this is wrong. Okay? There is not not knowing that this is wrong. Like this is the very depth of their culture. Okay? They know this is wrong. And there's a part of them that like, well, really, what's God going to do about it? What they didn't know is that Jesus was going to come to flip tables <laughs> soon, right? So we know that there's no fear of God in them. We also know that they're compromising. Again, because they know, these people know that what they're doing in the temple is wrong. They have either stopped caring or they have found a way of excusing their actions. Either way, it's compromise. And how often do we find ourselves doing that? Like, and it's not that it happens immediately. It's a little compromise here, a little compromise there, 
a little compromise, and all of a sudden you're selling and exchanging money in the temple without even a second thought. You know what I mean? So we know they don't fear God or have stopped fearing God. We know that they're compromising, and we know that they're arrogant. Yeah. Y'all, I feel like they were doing it, thinking like, nah, he won't know, you know? But again, I feel like we have this in us. Like how many of, okay, okay. How many of us do something that we're like, shouldn't have done that. And then we don't talk to God about it, acting as if, if we don't tell him, he'll never find out. He will never know. I'll leave it there. Anyway, you know what I'm saying, though? There is an arrogance that has to happen with a person who, like, is so outwardly doing something, and they're like, meh, yeah, you know, it'll be fine. You know, I'll deal with it later. God, God, you know, God forgive that idea of, like, hyper grace, no such thing, but you know what I mean? Like, ah, whatever, God will forgive me anyway, you know? Um, the arrogance of these people. So we have... Jesus dealing with people, interacting with people in this moment who have no fear of God, who don't care, who are compromising, which means they don't have any solid belief that they're willing to stand on, and they're arrogant, like stupid arrogant, okay? And I want to make sure real quick because I think it's important. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence, okay? Arrogance is us relying on us. I do this all the time. Don't worry, I got it. Don't worry, I got it. Somebody's like, hey, I need 50 million other things done. I'm like, don't worry, I got it. Six weeks later, I probably didn't do any of it, but I'm going to tell you I got it. You know what I mean? They're laughing because they all know that I do this. <laughs> no joke, dude. And I take these things on, and then I get mad. I'm like, I'm doing so many things. And then people are like, well, then start saying no. I'm like, mm, yeah, but then it doesn't get done my way. And it might not happen when I want it to happen. So I'll just do it, right? How many of us do that? And then we get mad about it. We like genuinely get mad about it, right? Okay, arrogance is us having faith in ourselves. Arrogance is the expectation that we can handle it, okay? Confidence is walking through knowing God has it, right? So. Confidence is walking through a situation, not needing to freak out because no matter what's going on at the end of the day, God's will is always going to win, right? And so, um, and so there is a very big distinction, and I want to make sure we know that because Jesus responds to arrogance with confidence. And it's important to understand that because I think a lot of times, like, we want to match, they say, like, match energies, you know what I mean? And so someone's arrogant with us, and we're arrogant back, and we were like, what? We were just standing in confidence. No, you weren't. You were being a jerk. That's arrogant. Like, you think you knew better, so you had to make sure that you told them you knew better so that they knew you knew better. You know what I mean? The last word, hmm, I don't do that, ever. I don't ever need the last word. I need to repent right now, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, right? So, uh, dude, I started thinking about that. Anyway, okay. But yeah, so there is a difference between arrogance and confidence. And so 
Now that we've established like who these people are that Jesus is interacting with, we need to look at how Jesus's response or what Jesus's response is if we plan on ever addressing it like Jesus. You know what I mean? I think so often we look at situations and we ask other people like, what do I do about this friend? What do I do about this family member? What do I do about this, this work situation? When in reality, we should be going to God first. But we don't. We go to our besties, right? Whether it be a family member or a friend, a pastor, a mentor. Uh, we go to all these people first, right? And then like, all of a sudden, like, little do we know that we had, all of a sudden we hadn't even addressed God and we hadn't even asked his opinion on it. And then we wonder why things go awry. Just saying. Right? So how does Jesus respond to this? Um, I would say one word to describe it is drastic. I'm going to use that. Right? Um, Jesus needed to get their attention. Right? The reality is, is certain people need certain interactions at certain times in order to comprehend the gravity of what is being said to them or what is happening around them. Okay? Like... I know this has happened. You have told someone something a million times, and I'm not even exaggerating. You literally have told them a million times. And then all of a sudden, some stranger, at some random time, walks up to them, and in the exact same words that you have repeated over a million times, they say something, and they're like, Oh my gosh, guys, I just heard the, the best revelation. God just spoke to me from on high. And your blood boils because you're like, you mean what I have been telling you? For, you know what I mean? Are, are we all together on this? Are we all together on this? Okay. The reality is, is that they needed a certain person at a certain time in a certain situation for them to hear it. And we need to be good with that. Like We need to be encouraging that because sometimes people need drastic things. And a lot of those times, those drastics come from people outside of our circle, right? Like, because you guys got to realize, like, Jesus is kind of known right now a little bit. People know who he is, right? Whatever. He's, he's known as a teacher, right? He's going around teaching. He's healing people. And then he comes into a temple and starts flipping tables, y'all. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? I just started flipping tables right now. Get out! Like, how awkward is that? How awkward and weird, y'all. Like, that's slightly drastic, I feel like. However, how many of you would forget that? How many of you would be, like, it would, it would enact a reaction, right? It would be like, whoa, uh, calm down there, buddy. Why were they so mad? What is going on? What, right? Sometimes we need drastic. Again, like people like me, sometimes... God just needs to flip a table a little bit to get our attention. The other thing that we see Jesus respond with is that he's unwavering. Okay, again, y'all, this is a teacher in a temple flipping tables and driving people out. Tell me that does not look like a crazy man. Yes? Like, can we, can we, can we say that if that happened today, right now, that we would be like, well, have fun on that journey. Like, <laughs> peace be with you type thing, right? Like, it would be a little awkward. It'd be a little weird. Um, and Jesus did it anyway. Pastor Ben pointed out that he came and he saw. Y'all, like, it's not that Jesus wasn't raised around this. 
He saw this all the time. The thing is that, that God had not released them to respond to it until this moment. The thing is, is that when we are doing something drastic, one of the things we have to be cautious of is that it is led out by God. Because if we intend to speak to people's hearts, we cannot do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit in that interaction. It is not us who changes people. It is God. And so Jesus probably could have done this I don't know, years before this moment, but would it have made the same difference? Y'all, he literally freaks out in a temple and then goes, gets crucified on a cross. Like, understand, like, this is a week, a week time. You don't think people are going to be like, wait, what was that dude talking about? Yeah, that guy who just got, like, thrown on a cross, everybody's freaking out. Like, it mattered. The drasticness of it mattered. And him choosing to unwaver on what he needed to do Y'all, I would have walked in and been like, no, no, I would like to be seen as sane today, you know? But that's the thing about walking in ministry and about really having a heart to love others well is you have to be willing to walk into situations and look like an idiot. It's just, it is what it is. And when we have this moment of not reacting but genuinely responding, we can do it in confidence. Right? That's why it's so important. If you, are, if you feel like there's something that needs to be drastically a, a, approached or anything like that, if you pray about it, if you get counsel about it, if you seek wisdom and, and really take the time to process it, and God's like, go in there and flip some tables, you better go in there and flip some tables. Because it, you don't know, but somebody might have needed that. Okay? And like... It is so important that we walk in confidence once we do all the work to make sure that that's where God's leading us. And that's what we see Jesus do, right? And so this is the first interaction we see. And everything we see is Jesus strictly responding to the hearts of the people he's interacting with. Fair? Okay, so then we're into the second encounter Jesus has, and that's with the disciples. And... um, Y'all, I love, I love the disciples, and I love Jesus's and their interactions, because I feel like one second Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, and the next he's like, you're so awesome, <laughs> and like, you are so good, and you're going to be just fine, just fine. So here Jesus goes. Previously, we, uh, Pastor Ben preached on how we see this fig tree get cursed. Jesus is hangry. Right, and but the disciples see this, right? They hear Jesus curse it, but we know they didn't believe that it was actually going to happen because of their response later. Do we do we get that? They hear Jesus speak out. Now, mind you, they have seen what Jesus is capable of already. They hear him speak this out and say, "They know," and then they see it later, and they're like, "Jesus, it actually worked." (laughs) Like what you said, like actually. It's not going to produce any more fruit. No, duh. Because that's what he said. Right? And again, how Jesus responds to them. Now, mind you, he's, he just came off an adrenaline kick of, of, of kicking people out of the temple. I would assume he'd be like, yeah, that's right. That's right. That tree's not going to make any more fruit because I said so. Right? That could have been one response. That, that probably would have been a gen response. I'm just saying, thank God, God is God and not me. Okay, anyway, so, um, but what do we know about the disciples, okay? 
We know that they're willing. Y'all, literally we hear about there are four fishermen. These aren't like educated, cool, sweet, loving, emotionally mature men, okay? These are rough and tumble and get in my face, see what happens. Around and find out, okay, type people, okay? And yet here it is that we see Jesus call them, they drop what they're doing, and they follow him. That is willing. Y'all, that is willing. I don't know if you've been in ministry or you've talked to people in ministry. I throw fits, (laughs) y'all. I literally throw fits. God's like, hey, Jen, you're going to do a small group? I'm like, no, I'm not. No, that's my answer. No. P.S., try saying no. It's never going to work. But but that is like, that is something that... I really struggle with, and God had to really point out to me, like, dude, these guys were literally the bottom of the barrel to a lot of people. And here comes Jesus, and he's like, come follow me, guys. I'll make you fishers of men. First of all, that's kind of cheesy, but but they do it. They're like, cool. We are going to walk away from our fam. Like, you guys have to understand, in this culture, it's very tribal, right? And so generation upon generation upon generation of people are doing these jobs. It's not just a job. It is their family. Their family are identified as fishermen. And they have probably worked their way up, and they have done all the things to figure out how to, they know all the, this is what they were raised, you know, you know what I'm saying? And they were like, no, we're going to leave that and go volunteer, basically, you know? Like, that's the equivalent of today. They walked away, and were like, cool, Jesus, let's do this thing. That's some willingness. And we do see it. Like, a lot of us have this heart where we really want to be willing. We really want to. And then God's like, really cool. I need to take two steps to the left. And you're like, okay, hold on. I hear you. I'm not invalidating what you're telling me to do. But are you sure it's three and maybe not two? I think two would be better. Maybe if we go three to the right, right, y'all, if you guys keep making me think that I am the only crazy one, I, I'm just going to sit down. Am I? Does this make sense? Are we? Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure, right? We all, a lot of us really want to be willing, but we struggle with that. I, I, again, I'm, I'm one of those people. The other thing we see about the disciples is that they're unsure, right? We always, man, I love it. I love seeing them put their foot in their mouths. Okay, just because I love Jesus' responses, because normally he's sarcastic and I think it's funny. But, um... They are so unsure. Again, these are fishermen. They don't know what they're doing. And then Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to go out and cast out demons. And they're like, cool. I can imagine like the disciples being like, out, demon. And then like it not happening. And they're like, please get out. (laughs) You know, like all these various ways. Because they're learning. They don't know. Like we see them come back and they're like, we prayed over this, this little kid, but it's not happening. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys. I'm sure he would have flipped the table then too. But you know what I mean? Like, they're unsure. They don't really know what's happening. But because of that willingness, they're still going. Right? We see this in them. Again, we notice that they hear Jesus curse the tree. They don't actually think it's going to happen. They don't have that, that, that solid sureness of them yet. Right? And the third thing we know about the disciples and their heart is that they're learning. 
again, like, we see Peter just in foot, foot, and mouth, like, all the time. And, like, poor dude, like, I feel like Jesus, like, yells at him a lot, but I also feel like Jesus babies him a lot. And so I feel like it's like a, but here's the thing is that Jesus understands that they're learning. Jesus understands they're going to end up in situations that are a little bit over their head. Jesus understands that they're going to say things that they shouldn't say. (laughs) I'm learning, okay? (laughs) um, But the thing is, is that um, he responds to them as such because he understands that about them. He knows that they're not just being defiant or not wanting to learn because they don't want to hear what Jesus has to say, but they really don't get it. And they really want to, though. And so how do we see Jesus respond to them? He's encouraging. He's, like, super encouraging. He's like, guys, I can do this. You can do this. I feel like it was, like, the beginning of a, um, what was it, Chris Farley? Uh, Never mind. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) But such a motivational talk. Okay? I feel like he's so encouraging to them. Um. And, and he's encouraging them to, to pray big, right? How many times do we hold back prayers because, oh, that's just too big to ask. God really doesn't care about stuff like that. All these things, right? All the excuses we give ourselves not to pray. Oh, I really don't want to tell him about that thing, you know? Um, all these reasons, like, he's telling them, like, none of that matters. Just pray. Whatever. If you believe it, he's removing all of that. Like, if you believe it, it's going to happen. That's it. And so he's encouraging him in that. But he's also teaching them. He's also taking a moment to teach them. And he's taking this moment to open their eyes to something bigger than what they see. Right? And that is, when we say something, our words should mean something. God was not just cursing the tree to sound cool in front of his disciples. He was cursing the tree because that's what he was doing. And so all of a sudden, our, the disciples see what has happened, and they're, they're like dumbfounded. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about, dude? You can do this too. If you say to that mountain, go, it's going to go. You know what I mean? And like, he's taking this moment to genuinely try to teach them because he understands the need for them to learn, right? Because they're learning, The other thing he does is to remind them. He reminds them about the importance of humility, right? So at the end of his talking to them, he says, "Um, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you in your transgressions. One of the biggest things in living discipleship out, I feel like, is um, acknowledging that we are all in the same boat. All of us are sinners. All of us have things we're working on. All of us have, like, all of us have something. And if we can, like, grasp that, then all of a sudden when the other things and other people come out, we have compassion for it, right? Like, yo, dude, like, I'm sorry that you're struggling with that. I get it because I'm struggling too, right? Does that make sense? Like, we need to really start acknowledging and reminding ourselves, like, We are all in this together, yo. Like, we all needed Jesus to die on the cross. Say you didn't. You know what I'm saying? And so here's this moment where Jesus could have completely responded in such a, I thought, fun and unique way. And instead, he took it to encourage the disciples. He took this time 
to really speak to their hearts and to settle their insecurities, settle their, uh, settle their um, unsure hearts. And he encourages them and teaches them, right? Okay, the third thing, the third interaction we see is what we're going to get into today. And I'm going really fast, promise. Okay, so we're going to read, uh, we're going to start in Mark 11, 27 through 33. All right. So it says, they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you will answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism from, of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning with themselves, saying, if it was from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering, Jesus said to them, um, answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love that Jesus hardly ever answers these guys with just a straight answer. <laughs> never, never. It's like, you can't tell me what to do. I love it. I think Jesus is awesome, y'all. I think he's the best. All right. But in order to break this down, we're going to look at, okay, who are the chief priests? What do we know about the chief priests? One, I think arrogance should just be number one, right? And so I was thinking of the word arrogance, but I wanted to know the definition. And it's having a false sense in our abilities. Again, right? Like thinking that we got this. Like, Tell me that is not a chief priest's attitude, right? Like, no, 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 guys. Cute, I know you think you know God, but let me tell you who he really is. You know what I mean? How many times do we do this in life, right? Well, they can't be that Christian if they don't go every Sunday. Well, they can't have that good of a relationship with God if they're not in their Bibles for eight hours a day. Oh, well, they, you know what, right? But there are all these things, and, and granted, do we say these things out loud? No. No, we don't, because we think for some reason Jesus can't read our minds, and that it doesn't matter if it doesn't come out of our mouths. Anyway. <laughs> arrogance. I think we can all agree that arrogance is one of the characteristics of the chief priest. Um, the I'm right, you're wrong idea, right? Uh, anybody who's ever been in an argument with a significant other knows that this is killer. Okay, how many times has a conversation been prolonged because you're like, but I'm right. <laughs> like, no, I hear you. <laughs> no, you, everything you're saying, great, that's awesome. But I'm still right. <laughs> right, because at that moment, being right is more important than loving the other person. Being right becomes more important because it's about self-validation. It has everything to do with our heart and nothing to do with the situation at hand. And that's what these priests have, this arrogance. I'm right, you're wrong. They're also prideful. What's the difference between arrogance and prideful? I will tell you. Prideful is having an idea of superiority and disdain for those who are thought of as less than worthy. Okay, so when I first read this, I was like, 
God, I know you're going to try to say that I'm prideful, but I'm not. And um, that lasted for a whole whopping, I don't know, two seconds. And then God was like, really? So words like, if you just do it my way, it would get done right. No, that's, uh, that's nothing I would say. Um, the idea of like, okay. Okay, I'm going to say it. Like, the idea that we as Christians are better and our opinion is more valid than other people because they're not. That's extremely prideful. Thinking that we can dictate who God is going to love or not, extremely prideful. Dictating who we think deserves salvation or not, extremely prideful. Dictating how sins and God are going to interact in a way, extremely prideful. Thinking that our politics are better, extremely prideful. Thinking our opinion on homeschooling or public school system, extremely prideful. There are so many different areas in our world right now where the enemy is just creating this us versus them mentality. And pride creeps in, y'all. None of this is like a wham, bam, it happened. Ugh. Like, it, that's not how the devil works. I always tell people this, like, y'all don't forget, he is smart. He, oh, guys, guys, I say this all the time, but I feel like I need to reiterate it. He literally convinced angels to go against God, knowing who he was. No, okay. He literally got angels to go against God. Like, that's a big deal. I feel like, maybe I'm, okay. I feel like that's a huge deal. He's not dumb. He's not dumb. And he's not going to do things in a way that make you want to stop. It's going to be little by little because he, he gets it. The other thing that we can absolutely say about the priests is that they're self-righteous, right? Again, I had to look up self-righteous because, well, I didn't have to. God told me to. Uh, believing that we are better and more moral than others, often <laughs> this part, oh, man. I really don't want to read it. Okay. Uh, believing that we are better than others and more moral than others, often expressed in an annoying or an offensive way. Okay, so here's the thing. Okay, I don't feel like I, I'm judgy. I'm not judgy. However, when I have an opinion, I feel like it's more right than yours. And I also feel like maybe if you just did it, we would all see the benefit of doing what Jen says. Okay? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, apparently, that's a little self-righteous. Apparently, God has feelings about that. Um, but we see this in the chief priests, right? And we see this in a way of, and, and we all feel this way, like, at some point. We want justice for what we feel we've been wronged in, right? We're the moral high ground. You did wrong. You should be groveling at my feet. Right? Again, no, okay. Right, yeah? Are we all on the same page? We don't get to do that, y'all. 
we don't get to do that if we're, if we're claiming to be followers of Christ. Because that's, that's not how Jesus was acting. Because Jesus challenged and questioned how the chief priests were acting. And again, he never even answers them. I feel like he challenges them. There's moments in the Bible where I'm like, Jesus, do you really question why they wanted to kill you? Like, he was rough with them. Like, he was, he didn't hold back no punches, okay? The first thing Jesus does is he's like, all right, I'll make you a deal. You answer my question, I'll answer yours. Like, he couldn't have just answered the question. He could have. But Jesus is intentional, right? Here's the thing. I think in today's age, we tend to follow people without asking questions. We hear what people say, and that's what people were doing. When we look back at the temple, when we look at the disciples, when we look at the chief priests, and when we later on look at the crowds, like, people were just going along. They weren't challenging people. I honestly don't believe the Pharisees and the scribes and the, the chief priests, I don't think they started out this way. I think they genuinely started out with the heart of God. But when you are not questioned and when you are not challenged, your heart gets corrupted. That is what happens. And that's what we see happens here. Because the minute Jesus challenges and questions these guys, they fall apart. Immediately, their intentions are exposed. We know exactly who you are. And Jesus doesn't even spend the time on them. Do you realize that? Like, he's like, cool, okay, then I'm not even going to answer you deuces. And walks off. Here's why. Because when we challenge someone, right, I always say, like, you will always know the true, the true heart of a person in their hardest moments. Because that is when, like, their deep comes out. You know what I mean? Right? And so when these people come up to Jesus and they start asking him, like, by whose authority are you doing this? It's really important to acknowledge he does not just give that information away. He does not just submit to the authority of these people in that. He questions and challenges their intentions and why they're coming to him in the first place. And then again, he just moves along. He this is not a part of a person we give life to. I think we hold on to grudges. I think we hold on to things way too much when really we should just be moving along. And Jesus shows us that. And this is what chief priests, y'all, you would think he would want to stay and like rub it in their face and be like, yeah, you're wrong. But he doesn't. He doesn't even tell them they're wrong. He's like, cool, moving on. We need to start moving on, letting things go and moving on. Okay, so the fourth um, interaction we see is going to be in, um, in Mark 12. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, and he began to speak to them, that's going to be the crowd, uh, in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard and the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and with many others being beaten, some, and killing others. He had one more to send, a, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, they will respect my son. 
But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected, that became the chief cornerstone? This came from about this came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them, and so they left him and went away. Um, can I just say something real quick, y'all? The reason we know that the chief priests really don't care, like their intention, is if their intention was true, they would be raising havoc right now. Because in their mind, Jesus would be bringing people away from God. If they really cared about the people they were trying to pretend they cared about, they would be lighting Jesus up. They wouldn't care if people are going to get mad at them because it should matter more to them that they're protecting their people. Right? Does that make sense? And throughout this, I think it's so interesting because you see that just by Jesus being willing to challenge them, all of a sudden we see the true heart of these people coming out. Because I guarantee they were playing it off really good that they cared about people. They made sure to care about people. They made sure to make, say the right things. They made sure to do the right things. But now all of a sudden somebody's coming and questioning them and they're like, mm. And I think it's important that we understand that because when we do not question, we end up signing on to other people's compromises. Does that make sense? And so all of a sudden, Jesus talks to the, the, um, the chief priests, and he, and he totally moves along. And then here's this crowd. Here's the then. All right? And this is where he makes his point. He doesn't even make it to the chief priests because he knows the heart they have. He's not going to waste... He's, it is his last week. He is going to the cross. So what do we know about the crowd? They listen when it's convenient. I hate to say this because I never want this to feel like a requirement, but we cannot open our Bibles on Sunday, leave it closed the rest of the week, and then wonder why we're not hearing the voice of God. We can't do that. We don't get to just listen when it's convenient. We don't get to take correction when it feels good. I promise you, if you're taking real correction, it doesn't. It just doesn't. But they listen when it's convenient. They are questioning. A lot of us were in this place when we were first coming in, right? There were uh, and, and starting to believe. There were things that we would see and we're like, I don't get that. How are flipping tables in a temple loving people? You know what I mean? Like there's these moments where, and so these crowns, some of them know Jesus, some of them don't, some of them are questioning, some of them have heard him speak before, some of them have not. And there's just this like buzzing of like, who is this dude? But do we see Jesus like freak out about it? Do we see him want to like kill someone over it? You want to know why? Because when you're solid and when you're walking in God's calling, people can question you all they want, but nothing will change what you're doing. Does that, you hear what I'm saying? 
Jesus knew what he was doing. Nothing those other people were going to say was going to change that. So they were allowed. The, the people should question. Y'all, we should question. We should allow ourselves to have doubts. We, when we remove that from our realm of communication with God, we cut that off from communication with God. We don't open ourselves up to learn more. We don't open ourselves up to hear what he has to say about a situation. We have to be willing to question. And the other thing we, we really know about this crowd is that they're on the line, right? Because they haven't stepped into being disciples. They're just listening. Now, listening is good, okay? There are times where we need to be in the crowd. Not that we want to be, we need to be. There are times where we need a break. And being in the crowd is not a bad place to be. Staying in the crowd, unacceptable. Unacceptable. If you are saying that you're a believer of Christ, it is impossible, impossible for you to remain in the crowd. Because God and the world will never, ever, ever mix. They will never share the same ground. You will never be able, like, every decision you make is serving God or the enemy. That's it. People like to add in the gray of life right now. It is such a lie from the depths of hell. You are either serving God or you're not. There's no two ways around it. Like, you know, people get a bad rap for being black, uh, you know, black and white thinkers. I, I just feel like I think in the terms of heaven or hell. You know, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hold on, my thing turned off. There it goes. So we know that they're walking the, we're, that they're walking the line, okay? And for some people, this can be super frustrating in ministry. Because these can be the people that like want your time but aren't actually going to follow through with what you tell them to do, but say that they want to hear you, but then don't actually do it, and then like complain because things are getting worse, but you told them how to fix it, but they're actually not doing it because they don't really care about what you're saying, but they really are saying, you know what I mean? We all have those friends who like come to us for advice, and then we're like, well, maybe you should do X, and they're like, yeah, no. No, I don't think I'm going to do that. And then when everything falls apart, they're like, I just don't understand. Well, well, you know. All right, so how did Jesus respond to these people? The first one is creating a connection. How important is it for us to connect with people? Um, I, uh, many of you wouldn't guess this, but I am actually a first-generation Mexican-American here. And my dad's from Mexico. And in the Mexican culture, there's a lot of beautiful things within it. And I love it. I love my Mexican culture. Um, and I actually, I say this uh, jokingly, but it's really true. I didn't realize how Mexican I was until I moved to Idaho. And, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that's what white people are. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry if I just got myself in trouble. Okay, anyway, about like, like things like a beginning time and an end time to a party. <laughs> what? 
When I first saw that, I was like, you actually tell people to go home? Why didn't my family do this growing up? Why was I stuck on a chair at 4 o'clock in the morning, like at a family party? Anyway, I really miss my culture living here. Um, but uh, something happened. Uh, we went to the Real Graham thing, and uh, Christine DiCario, uh was singing. And she started singing in Spanish. You know, I felt like such an idiot. I was crying. And it wasn't because like, I was actually paying attention to what she was singing. <laughs> I was crying because I didn't realize how much like, I miss worshiping God in my culture. Growing up, we used to go to Spanish mass all the time. It was something that our family did. My parents were very adamant about us going to church. And occasionally, we would get to go down to LA, and we would go to, go to this one particular church, and we would go to the Spanish mass always, and it had better music, and we liked the people better, and like it was just always such a great time. And the thing was, is like getting to worship God within my culture through music, which is my heart language, is something that I love. And all of a sudden, at the Will Graham thing, I'm like crying because I have missed it so much. And like, I, it probably might not make sense to everybody, but there is something about connecting with who you are, like the deepest part of your culture, you know, and getting to honor God in it. Like there is something so cool about that. And so here is Jesus and everybody's like, dude, he's a really cool dude who messes up the temple and teaches and heals and casts out demons and stuff. And yet he can talk to us like back and forth like a normal human being within our cultural context. You guys see like how important that is for people? And here was Jesus connecting with them. The next one is um, we see that Jesus is really doing this out of a place of wanting relationship. Um, he is not just telling a story. I hate pinning that, sorry. Uh, it's not just him telling a story because he wants to tell you a bedtime story. He is telling you a story because he is intentionally speaking to the hearts of the people he is talking to. And they need that connection. And in that connection is where you can then invite into relationship, right? Like, um, normally relationship comes from that immediate connection, right? So like you see someone, you're like, hmm, I like them. I, I joke about this all the time, Tish, she's awesome. Uh, when I first uh, like introduced myself to her, I was awkward, okay? Like I knew that we were gonna be friends, she didn't have a choice in it, and um, I was like, I literally like walked out from the offices and I like walked up to her in the most awkward like, hey, can we get coffee? Can we, and she was like, uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> you know? That is not typically how a relationship starts, okay? Typically it's like you get to know someone and then you're like, hey, we enjoy each other's company, let's go out to coffee and hang out, right? And then you become friends and, and that's how, you know, whatever. That's what Jesus is doing. He made this connection and now he's building this relationship to invite them into discipleship with him, right? And um, we have this all the time within our own community, small groups, one-on-one -on -one discipleship, friendships, mentorship. Like, this is something that we need. We were built for relationship. And the last thing that we see, which is what we've always seen throughout all of these examples, is Jesus' intentionality, right? Um, there's a reason Jesus is speaking, into the, is speaking the parables, so that the ones who have the ears to hear will hear, and the other ones won't, right? And so we have this. 
I love that the Bible says, like, not to, um, not to babble like the pagans do when we're praying. And the reason I love that is because it's God telling us how important and intentional our words need to be. All right, so we're going to close this. I only went, like, I don't know, 15 minutes over. Okay, ask the worship team to come up, please. All right. So all of this information, I know it's been a lot. I'm really sorry. Um, But all of that comes to this, okay? If we want to change people's hearts, it starts with us first. We don't get to ask people to do hard things if we're not willing to do hard things. We don't get to ask people to step out in faith if we're not stepping out in faith. We don't get to ask people to challenge themselves and to question themselves if we're not going to do the same things. We don't get to do that if we want to live a genuine Christ-like life. Okay? So here are three things that we can walk away with and that can help us to address our hearts. Um, and these are three things that, like, God told me I needed to, to work on. And so, like, I never want you guys to feel like I'm, I never want you guys to feel like I'm, like, I don't know. Like, you guys have to, like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, so God told me three things that I need to do to fix my heart, and I'm going to share them with you guys. (laughs) The first one is, we need to be willing to be more honest about where, we at, where we're at spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. If we're not willing to genuinely take inventory of where we are in life, how do we expect God to approach and interact with our heart in a way to change us? We have to be honest about that. But it goes further. It goes to being honest with people around us. We have to start telling people when we're not doing okay. We have to start telling people when we're struggling. And we, have, we need to be more aware of when we're in a place that we need that help. The second thing we need to start doing is seeking Jesus. Church, he is our example for a reason. Because he's God and he did everything right. And it doesn't mean that we're going to always do everything right. But what it does mean is that we can do it better than what we would have done. You know what I mean? And so in every situation, seek what Jesus would do. Like, I know we all walked around with those wristbands. What would Jesus do? Why don't we actually ask that question? Why don't we bring that back? Not as a cool thing to wear, but as something we actually ask ourselves in every situation we're in. And the third thing is to walk it out. Church, it is time. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but the time that we are in, we don't get to just sit in the, in the background and let things happen and then expect it to not be crazy. And so if you really want to see hearts change, start walking it out in your life. If I want to see people genuinely seeking God, I need to seek God first in mind. And that's how we, That's how we get to move forward. And that's how we end up addressing different parts of the hearts with different people like Jesus did. Guys, we get a book that basically is a cheat sheet to all of this. 
like the disciples had to do this on their own. <laughs> we have a book that tells us what we can do. All right, let's pray. God, you're so good. You're so awesome. You're so amazing. Lord, we love you so much. All the, all the, all the beautiful truths that you have for us in your, in your word, God. Lord, I pray that today as we move forward, that you just continue to expose our hearts, God, that you continue to show us the areas of our lives that we need to press into you on. God, that you continue to open our hearts and our ears to hear your correction, to hear what you have to say, to hear the life here who's speaking into us, God. God, I pray that you help people be surrounded by others who will encourage them, who will teach them, who will call them out, who will challenge them, who will question them. Lord, that, that we have people around us who love us enough, unconditionally love us enough that they bring us back to Jesus, even if it's drastic, even if what they have to do is drastic, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will continue to do. We surrender our lives and this, this just our hearts, God, to you and ask that um, it be your will. In your name we pray. Hey, thanks again for joining us on this Rise Church podcast. If this was a blessing to you, there's a number of things that could do to help us continuing to minister to the world around us and getting that good news about Jesus Christ out. Could you like this podcast? Could you share this podcast? Could you quote this podcast? All of those would be a great blessing. If you would like to give financially to Rise Church to help us continue on this mission, please go to risechurchid.org. Be blessed, my friend.